Okay, good morning. So Henley should, should know better. He, he actually only gave me two verses to preach on. So I've got Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And if you remember, uh, for the last couple of weeks as we're working our way slowly but surely through the book of Ephesians, is that right now we're in a section of the book that's actually a prayer. So this is a prayer by the Apostle Paul, who's the author of the letter of Ephesians. And chapter 1 is a prayer. And, and there's really two movements to this prayer. Uh, the prayer begins with blessing. This is verses 3 through 14. And so it's full of adoration. It's full of worship. And what Paul is doing is he's blessing God for having blessed us in Jesus Christ. And then there's a turn to the prayer right around verse 15, and Paul begins requesting. So now he moves into petition. He's asking God for things. And here's specifically what Paul requests of God. He says, God, I know I have every blessing. I just want to know it deeper. So here's what you got to understand. We're going to look at verses 19 through 20. This is in a section of prayer, and Paul is not asking for new blessings. He wants to appreciate the old blessings, the existing blessings. And the specific blessing that we're going to expound on this morning is the blessing of power. We're going to be discussing power. And so here's why this is appropriate if you're in the room tonight or this morning, excuse me, and you're a believer. Just know this, that Paul wrote this to a specific church in the city of Ephesus. He also expected that this letter would be circulated all throughout the ancient Near East to different churches, but it's also very appropriate for us today. So if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you can appropriate this prayer, and you can pray the exact same prayer asking God for more power. And for those of you who are still investigating or the gospel and checking out Jesus, this is one of the many benefits of following him, a life of new power. So I'm going to read a little bit more than just two verses. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20, so you can be reminded of the context, but please read with me, Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. It says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your glorious heart, excuse me, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So if you notice, there's actually different directions that Paul is pointing us in. And and this actually connects the previous two weeks of sermons to today. So in verse 18, Paul actually looks back. This is what we talked about two weeks ago. Paul references the hope of God's call. So Paul is actually looking back to eternity past, and he's saying, if you're a believer, God has called you. And then in verse 19, Paul looks ahead because he references the glory of God's inheritance. Now Paul is moving into eternity future, and he's saying, one day, if you're a believer, you will receive God's inheritance. And so in a sense, what Paul is doing is he's laying out a map And this is a map of salvation, and he's pointing to two points on the map, a beginning and an end, a start and a finish. 
And the map is really a map of salvation. And it starts with God's call, and it ends with this inheritance. And what Paul is revealing is how do you make it from point A to point B? And the solution or the answer he gives is the very power of God. Now, I'm assuming some of you have probably had this moment before in your life where you're staring at a map and you're wondering, how am I going to make it from the beginning to the end? We, we got any hikers in the room? Kind of our granola crew. Okay, I see a couple of you. Okay, and so you lay out the topographic map and you got the start and you got the finish and you recognize that there's all these terrain and features and there's mountains to climb and, and there's rivers to cross. And so you wonder, how in the heck Am I going to make it from point A to point B? And you, gotta say, you say, i got to fill my backpack with granola and trail, trail mix and tents and water bottles so I can have the power, right, to make the journey. Okay, some of you, my academics in the room, may, maybe you did the same thing with the grad school program that you started. Point A was simply looking over the course requirements, the syllabus, what does it take to graduate? The end, the finish, was when you received that diploma, when you crossed that stage, and you said, how am I going to make it from point A to point B? Well, lots of caffeine and Starbucks, study buddies, and late nights in the library. Some of you are probably thinking about spring break, and you're thinking about that family road trip. Point A is my home. Point B, it's Orlando. It's Panama City. It's the state park a couple hours away, and how am I going to get there? Well, I need a full tank of gas. I need a minivan, right? I need lots of DVDs to distract my kids. And so the path that Paul is describing right here, point A to point B, it's a longer journey. It's a more challenging journey than any trail, any academic program, or any road trip. He's talking about how do we make this journey from God's call to God's future inheritance and the solution that he gives, what you got to pack, what you got to bring on your journey is the very power of God. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, I'd be willing to bet, as we discuss the power of God, nobody's going to shoot their hand up and say, wait a minute, Ben, I think God is small. He's insignificant. He's puny. He's impotent. Most of us would agree that God is powerful. But here's the thing. The way that God is described in Scripture, he's not just described as powerful. He's described as all-powerful. The word that theologians would use is that he's omnipotent. Meaning there's nothing more powerful than God. Nothing can big boy or push God around. And all scripture, many authors attest to this. I'll give you a quick survey. Job says this. He says, I know, God, that you can do all things. The prophet Isaiah describes God as the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He says this. He does not faint or grow weary. So our power tends to rise and fall depending on how much sleep we got or how much you're hitting the weight room, God's power never diminishes. The psalmist says, great is our Lord. He is abundant in power. The author of Hebrews says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So not only does God create the universe with his power, but he sustains, he controls the universe with his power. So now we get to our main verse today. It's verse 20. And Paul describes God's power this way. He says, it's not just power. It's a measurable and great power. So we're going to nerd out just for a moment because when you go to the original language, the Greek, it, 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 it illuminates what these words really mean. The word immeasurable, its Greek root is uper. This is where we get the word super. The word great in the Greek 
is the word megathos. This is where we get the word mega. And even the word power, in the original language, the word is dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamic or dynamite. And so do you understand what Paul is doing? He's piling up adjectives. This isn't just power. This is super mega dynamite power. And you know what he's doing? He's doing the exact same thing my four-year-old daughter does every night at story time. So probably the exact same tradition that you have in your families. You have story time. That's part of bedtime. We, we've had a little bit of a role reversal. I used to tell stories. Now I get to hear the stories. And every story has the exact same plot. It's always Ellie versus a monster. Okay, But, but here's how the story has transformed over the months. Okay, now it's no longer Ellie versus the monster. It's Super Ellie, okay, who can fly around the world and jump over buildings and is super strong and has all the power. And it's not just a normal, typical monster. It's the one-eyed, big-toothed, green, stinky shark monster. Do you see what she's doing? She's piling up adjectives to highlight, to contrast, to emphasize that this superhero is extremely powerful and this monster is extremely bad. Well, Paul's doing the exact same thing. He's saying this isn't normal power. It's super mega dynamite power. So the question is, well, how do, how do we measure it? How, how do we prove this power? Because if you think about it, there's a lot of different ways that you measure power in today's day and age. Some of you might be electricians. How do we measure electric power? I know Laura Collins knows. Through watts, right? Watts and kilowatts. Everybody pulled up to church in a car. We measure cars and trucks and automobiles by horsepower. So the question is, how do we measure the power of God? Is it metric? Is it pounds? Is it ounces? Is it feet? Is it meters? Because if you think about it, we measure power differently in different parts of the country. Think about it. How do they measure power in Washington, D.C.? It's about legislation and passing bills and moving things forward through Congress or the Senate. How do they measure power in New York City? It's about where your office is located. Is it on Wall Street? It's about the size of your hedge fund. Can you hire? Can you fire? What about L.A. or Hollywood? Power is all about where does your name show up in the end credits of the movie? How many little gold trophies do you have over your fireplace? It's all about the Oscars and the Grammys and the Golden Globes. For my kids, y'all also measure power in the hallways of your high school, right? So if you're more academically inclined, okay, power is all about a number, your ACT score, your SAT score, your GPA, or your IQ. If you're a lover of the arts, you know, you're in drama or the band, how do you get power by that ama those amazing vocals? Stepping on stage, delivering a monologue, and making the audience feel deep emotion. Okay, for the jocks, it's pretty simple, right? You want to measure power, it's all about the weight room. How much do you bench? How much do you squat? Okay, we're doing spring ball at West Georgia with our football team right now. And they actually have a drill, and it's all about measuring, defining the power of a football player. It's called a board drill. And here's what they do. They get a 2 by 12 board, they lay it on the ground, and they put two hulking football players on either side. And they get down in a three-point stance, they put their hand in the dirt, and at the sound of a whistle, they fire off the ball. And you can feel the crunch of the pads, and they're fighting, they're pushing, they're in opposition, and they're simply measuring okay, the power of two football players. And so here's what Paul's about to do. 
He's going to give us three examples, three exhibits. Paul's going to point to three moments in the life of Jesus that demonstrate his power. So just in the same way that an athlete might make a highlight film of his best moments of powerful athleticism, just like oftentimes movies, three-hour movies are condensed to one-minute trailers to show the most powerful scenes, Paul's about to give us the highlight reel, the trailer of God's power. Okay? So three moments, three examples. Y'all with me? Y'all hanging in there? Okay. Example number one is your belief. Example number one, demonstration of the power of God is your belief. Verse 19 says this, God shows his power towards us who believe. So here's the deal. If you're a believer, if you would say, I've trusted in Jesus, if you're sitting here as a believer today, it is because of God's mighty power. So here's what this means for you and me, is that if you have belief, it is always miraculous and amazing. You ever thought about this? Why are you here? Why am I speaking? Why am I talking to you? Why are you listening to me? And you might give a pragmatic, really practical, reasonable answer to that question. You might say, look, a friend invited me to church, or I really like the worship music. And the teaching, it's okay, it's pretty average, but at least I get a break from my kids. You might give all these reasonable responses. But do you understand what Paul is saying right here? He's saying at the bottom line, there's only one and only reason why you believe while you're sitting here in this sanctuary. It's the power of God. There's a reason for this. And Paul explains why in Ephesians 2. He says that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God showing his power towards you, we are all spiritually dead. And that might not make a lot of sense because you would probably think back and say, look, even if I don't know Jesus, I'm still alive. The Bible would agree you may be physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead simply means this, you're unresponsive, and you lack power. And so in order for you to trust in Jesus or believe in him, you don't have the power to make yourself believe. You can't change your heart. You can't manufacture belief. So if you're going to believe, God has to give you his power. And not just any power, remember, this is super mega dynamite power. And this has some interesting implications for how we talk about our testimonies. That, that's the story of how, how God has saved us, or the story of our conversion. When, when we tend to hear testimonies, maybe on videos, or when somebody steps on a stage, we tend to think that the best testimonies are the dramatic ones, right? The, the people who are hooked on hard drugs, maybe slinging dope, locked up in jail, gang-affiliated. And so if you might have the boring testimony, or maybe you don't remember coming to faith, or you've always been fairly religious or moral or a church attender, we tend to think that those testimonies are inferior or second-rate. But do you understand what Paul is saying right here? He's saying regardless of your past, whether you're a rule keeper or rule breaker, church attender or church avoider, whether you are moral or immoral, all of us, apart from the power of God, we're what? We're spiritually dead. And so everybody has an incredible, miraculous testimony. Why is that? Because every testimony is a story of going from spiritual death to spiritual life. And this is especially hard for church people to appreciate. Because let me see, 
let me just say this. Unless you understand that your belief is a miracle, unless you see, uh, unless you see that you'll never rejoice, you'll never be amazed, and you'll never wonder at the saving power of God. And so even if you're sitting here right now, but you're saying, look, Ben, I, I got belief, but, but this belief is barely hanging on. I'm really struggling right now. I'm full of doubts. COVID it has just taken it out of me. I'm longing for more. Well, brother, sister, if you're just here listening right now, this is evidence that God's power is at work in your life. Have you ever thought about this? There's a lot of similarities and connections in Scripture between God's creation of the universe and His recreation of your heart. There's a lot of similarities between God's creation of the universe, that's like Genesis 1 and 2, and God's recreation of your heart. And there's two, two, two big similarities. The first is this. When God creates, He always creates by His Word, and second, it's out of nothing. God always creates by His Word, so He speaks the universe into existence. And when he creates the universe, it's out of nothing. And very often, we tend to think about creation and the creation account, and we say, that's incredible, right? That's miraculous. It required amazing power. Because in just one word, God created galaxies and stars and high mountains and deep oceans. Well, listen to me. There's another miracle that required just as much power. And it was by his word, and it was out of nothing. And it wasn't the act of creation of this universe. It was the recreation of your heart. Your belief is every bit as miraculous as the creation of the heavens and the earth. So that's exhibit A, example number one. Demonstration of God's power is your belief. Now we move on to the empty tomb. Number two, the empty tomb. In verse 20, Paul mentions that Christ has been raised from the dead. And death is God's nemesis, if you will. For those of you who are fight fans, maybe you watch like the WWE, UFC, MMA. Here's something that's really interesting about every fighter. They always have a contender. There's always a challenger. There's always somebody who's trying to take the champ out. And it's the exact same way with God. And God's nemesis, his heel, if you will, is death. Because death is the ultimate power on this earth. I mean, think about powerful natural forces in this world. You think about hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes. You think about man-made weapons, weapons of mass destruction, nuclear bombs. All of these things have some power of death contained within them. And here's the thing about death. It doesn't matter how healthy you are, how much organic food you eat, how well-connected you are. We can't avoid death. Death cannot be prevented. I know we got some doctors and medical professionals in here. At least everybody has probably seen some sort of hospital drama show like ER. And here's what's amazing. You know, there's always these scenes where they bring somebody on the verge of death into the ER. They rush them in on the gurney. They rip open their shirt. They get the EKG, the paddles. They start pumping life into them. And they're doing everything they can with technology and experience and wisdom, but the moment that person flatlines, what do the doctors do? They walk away. Because the moment somebody crosses from life to death, there's nothing we can do about it. And so here's what Paul says, if you believe, guess what? 
death has no power over you. If you believe, death has no power over you. Because the moment you die, you become more alive. For all believers, the moment you die, you become more alive. We might be thinking, well, what about now? That doesn't really help me now. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm vaccinated. Well, guess what? God gives us this resurrection power within us. There's there's a verse in Timothy that says this. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of what? Of power. There's a verse in 1 John that says, He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So this resurrection power is activated one day when we leave this earth, but, it is, but the Holy Spirit occupies us right here, right now. So here's the question I would ask everybody to consider, to meditate, to discuss in your groups. But what would happen if the power of God that raised Christ from the dead became, became active in your life? I'll say it again. Think about this. What would happen... If the power of God that raised Christ from the dead became active in your life. So where do you need power today? Maybe your days are full of fear and anxiety. Maybe you're worn down resisting a certain sin. There's some idol that you're entangled in. There's some addiction that you just can't shake. Maybe life is extremely difficult. There's relationships, there's family drama. Each day is full of hardship and suffering. Well, God promises you power. And there's typically two ways that this power is made manifest. Number one is this. There are times when God miraculously intervenes. Supernatural healing, supernatural restoration. And the second way that he demonstrates his power, and this is more common, more usual, he simply gives us the strength to endure. He gives us the power to persevere. This reminds me of a story I read about, a, about an older gentleman who was dealing with a terminal disease. And at one point, his son asked him, and this man was a very devoted, sincere follower of Jesus, and his son said, he, he said, Dad, do you believe God's going to heal you? Do you think he's going to heal you? And the father said this, he said, Absolutely. He said, I'm just not sure if he'll do it before I die or after. And he went on to explain, he said this, if he heals me before, it's just temporary until he actually heals me after. So brothers and sisters, believers, know this, that death is defeated. Have you ever thought about this? The devil doesn't want you to die. Because the moment you die, you'll be glorified. And he won't be able to tempt you anymore. Death doesn't want you to die. And so you may reach a point on this earth where your mind and body is crushed and weak and broken. But when you take that last breath, the resurrection power of Jesus will be fully activated in your life. So I'm just going to reword the question I asked you. But if you truly believed that you possessed resurrection power, how would you live differently? Okay, so so far... As we're going through these different exhibits, demonstrations of God's power, we've looked in to our belief. We've looked back to the empty tomb, and now we look up. We look to the heavenly throne. And verse 20 says this, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And so this is actually a heavenly um, scene describing a palace. And God the Father is seated at a throne, and to the right, Jesus his Son 
is at his right hand, and he's on a throne as well. And this is a position of authority, of control, of honor. And even though I was only given two verses, okay, i got to read the next verse. Can you all let me do that? I'm not going to steal Henley's thunder for next week. But verse 21 says this, that Jesus, as he is seated, is above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and name. Verse 22 says that all things are under his feet, and he is the head over all things. And this verse was true in Paul's day and age, but it's also true today, even in 2020, even in 2021. So in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, a contentious election, racial tension, and a volatile stock market, God remains seated on the throne. So what does it mean that he's seated? I mean, when we think about Jesus, he left this earth as a 33-year-old single man, okay? And so some of you are probably picturing a 33-year-old single dude seated on a couch, right? With like empty bottles of Mountain Dew at his feet, maybe an Xbox controller, Cheeto dust on his fingers, pizza rolls surrounding him. Is that what's going on here? Well, when Jesus is seated, it means two things. It means he's finished his work and he's not worried. It means he's finished his work and he's not worried. Think about this. I know a lot of you men and women are putting in a long day's work. So you go to your job, you perform your responsibilities, you do the nine to five grind. And then when you get home, okay, you got to put dinner on the table. You got to feed the kids, but then you got to wash the kids. You got to get them ready for dinner. And finally, at the very end of the day, after a hard day's work at your job, in your home, and with your family, what do you want to do? You just want to collapse in that couch, right? You want to kick your feet up. You want to grab the remote. And what that symbolizes or signifies, my work is done for the day. I did my job. I was faithful as a father, as a mother, as an employee. Well, the book of Hebrews would suggest the same thing, that Jesus has completed his most important work. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Another verse says that Jesus offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. So when the Bible describes Jesus as seated, he's not sitting, sitting out of laziness or passivity or apathy. He's saying, my greatest work, my most important work is done. There's nothing to add to it. It's finished. It's complete. I lived the perfect life and I died the death of substitution. But on top of that, Jesus is not only not working, but he's not stressing. He's not worried because when you're seated, you're laid back. You're not wringing your hands. You're not pacing back and forth. And so do you understand that Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God, even though you might be hitting a situation in life where you're stressed and you're anxious and you're pacing back and forth and you're wringing your hands... Well, if God's not wringing his hands, why aren't you? Why are you? The powerful one, the one who possesses super, mega, dynamite power, remains seated because he's in control. So here's what you need to understand is that Jesus has overcome death. And death is the ultimate power in this world because all of us, regardless of your age, we're all aging, dying, wearing out. We're decaying slowly but surely. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. 
But here's what I want you to see with these three exhibits or demonstrations is that Jesus has overcome three types of death. In our belief, he overcomes what? Spiritual death. With the empty tomb, he overcomes physical death. And now that he's seated on the throne, he has overcome situational or circumstantial things that feel like death. And so here's what you need to get is that because of the power of Jesus, he can bring new life into any heart, into any body, but also into any situation. And this is the power we need. And this is what Jesus offers. Not just power up there, but power in us. And don't we need power today, church? We live in a nation that's becoming increasingly secular and hostile to the gospel. We're bombarded by messages and advertisements on our phones. We're constantly distracted by the pinging and vibrating of our phones. Many of us just want to break out of apathy and complacency and spiritual malaise. Some of you are just saying, I want to resist temptation. I want to overcome this addiction. Or I just want to show compassion and patience towards my family and to my kids. So how do we access this power? How do we get this power? Well, in many ways, it's no different than your favorite piece of technology, electronic, or appliance, right? If you want to use your toaster, your TV, or your iPhone, you got to what? You got to plug it in. You got to plug it in. So how do we plug into this power? Well, Paul actually tells us in the book of Philippians, he says, look, if you want this power, you got to know God and the power of his resurrection. It all comes through knowing Jesus. Our power comes through knowing Jesus, his life, his death. And his resurrection. And this is why we're assembled this morning. Do you see this? We're singing to Jesus. We're praying to Jesus. We're studying about Jesus through his word. And in just a moment, we're going to participate in something called communion or the Lord's table. And you know what we're going to, about to do in just a moment? We're about to plug in to Jesus. And see, here's what we do at the Lord's Supper we get to see, taste, touch, experience with all of our senses the most powerful moment in human history. You ever thought about that? We're about to remind ourselves but also experience the most powerful moment in human history. And here's the most powerful moment when the all-powerful one, the omnipotent one, the one who possessed super mega dynamite power, he laid it down. And he laid it down at the cross. And the reason why he did it was to be in a relationship with you and I and to empower us each and every day of our life. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to transition to the table. Dear Jesus, as we pray to you right now, you are the powerful one. You're omnipotent. You're all-powerful. God, we know that you are the ultimate champion. You're the hero because you have conquered death. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to the table... Would you nourish us? Would you strengthen us? Would you give us more of the Holy Spirit so that each and every day we can live lives of power? We pray this in your name. Amen.